And it is a happy Mother's Day, you know, to all of you. Um, I was very fortunate that I had, I had two moms uh, growing up. Uh, had my biological mother who I lived with, and my dad remarried. And uh, Marie, that's you up there. That was my second mom up there. I had two great moms, man, it was great. Um, tell you the kind of mom that Marie was. So I uh, played uh, football over at Davis High School and some other sports. Literally, she would have the football team over like, I don't know, 70, 80 guys, all the coaches, like uh, Thursday night, and she would cook dinner. It was like our team dinner at her house, and she'd make all the food, and man, we jammed up the, the, the garage with tables, and kids were, were everywhere, and it was really quite a deal to cook for that many kids, and, it, and literally, she cooked. I mean, it wasn't like, hey, go get pizzas, you know, and bring them in, which is, you know, what I would have done. But, man, she would cook. And I was, I was fortunate, man. I had two great, great moms um, who loved me, even though at times I'm sure I was uh, not easy to love. Um, now, you know, my, my, you know, my kids are older, and, and I've, I've got to look, up, you know, up close and personal at my wife and the kind of mom that she is. And here's the deal, man, I got, got her card already, and I'll give it to her tomorrow, and, and, she could be watching right now, so I can't say it out loud, wow, I, I got a great gift this year, whoo man, whoo whoo man, I don't know if I can outdo myself, man, I'll tell you, the gift I got her for all of us and the families, um, and if I told you what it was, some of you would laugh at me, and you would mock me, uh, but you have to know what I'm no good at, okay? And then that'll help you maybe understand maybe what my, my wife's gonna get, what she's actually asked, asked for. But anyway, okay, enough of that. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, okay? If you don't have a Bible, all you have to do is go into the altar room when we're done and we'll give you uh, your own Bible. You can take it home, read it, underline things, write down questions. You can sit in a meeting like this and you can write stuff out if, if the Lord you know, speaks to you or whatever. Obviously, we are in a series here, if you're visiting with us, where we're going through the Gospel of John together or the letter that, that John uh, wrote. Uh, John and Jesus were like best friends. They hung out together. They did life together. They had coffee together. So everything you read in the Gospel of John, John saw it. He was an eyewitness to the whole thing. And anything he writes about, he actually saw it, okay? And so we're just having a great time just kind of looking at little stories that are, are found um, here. Now, last week, if you're with us, I gave you three fundamental truths that we as Christians need to know and understand. Okay, these are three just super important truths and if you weren't here last weekend, let me just encourage you, especially if this is your home, go online, you can, uh, you can watch the sermon or you can listen to the sermon for free, but, but I want you to listen to it, I want you to watch it. Okay, I wanna make sure that, that, that you've heard last week's message or, or watched it, but let me give you a, uh, just a quick reminder of what these three fundamental truths were. The first one was this, that God created everything. That's something that every believer, every follower of Christ needs to know and understand. It's one of these fundamental truths. 
There's lots of truths found in this book. And when I say truth, I'm talking about truth with a capital T. Okay, two plus two is four. That's truth with a small t. I'm talking about truth with a capital T. Okay? Everybody needs to know and understand this fundamental truth that God created everything, and that includes you. There's all these books in the Bible. This is a, 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 a big book, right? And you got these 39 books in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way through Malachi. 39 books in the Old Testament. You got these 27 books in the New Testament, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, all the way through the book of Revelation. You put them all together, you got 66 different books that are contained between these two leather-bound covers. And in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, and the very first sentence of the very first book, we read these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I told you last week, if you can't get past the first sentence in the Bible, then the rest of it isn't gonna make any sense to you. In fact, I told you last week that in my opinion, that's the most important verse in all of the Bible that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And one of the things that he created was you. You were actually created in the very image of God. The second fundamental truth we looked at last week was that God, God customs designs each person, and that includes you. So yes, he created you, but you weren't you know, off of some assembly line. Uh, you, you were custom made. Psalms 139 says, you, that's God, made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. The second truth that every believer needs to know is that you are unique. There's no two people with the same finger prince on, on planet earth. He, he's custom designed you for some purpose. You may not know what that purpose is, but you have a purpose. I didn't know what my, my purpose was for a long, long time. I squandered a lot of years doing a lot of dumb things until I met the Lord. And then all of a sudden it became clear why God had created me in my mother's womb. And then the first uh, the third fundamental truth that we looked at was this. At the moment you surrendered your life over to Jesus, God gave you a new identity. So he created you. He created you in a very unique way. But something really weighty happened at the moment you gave your life to Christ. And that is he gave you a new identity. Second Corinthians chapter 5 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you've given your life over to Christ, if you've become a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, if you are indeed a true believer, if you really understand who you are and who he is and you humbled yourself and you gave your life over to him, you, you let him become the CEO of your life, so to speak, if that was indeed a, 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 a true moment, you became a new creation. The old has gone. And the new has come. 
Beloved, when, when you gave your life over to Jesus Christ, he, he gives you a new identity. He transforms your life. He makes things new. And I talk about this all the time. I was talking with a, a friend, a relative really today in, in, in the altar room earlier, uh, my friend right down here. And one of the things we talked about was uh, a lot of things will change your life. You know, you hit the lottery, you win, I don't know, $200 million, that'll change your life. Right? You get married, that'll change your life. You have babies, that'll change your life. But anything that can change your life can also change back. God doesn't change your life. God transforms your life. Now, in other words, you don't go back. You're, 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 totally, you're totally new. Jesus called this being born again. In John chapter three, Jesus was talking to a man and he said this. He said, he said, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again, you're never gonna get to heaven, in other words. Unless you're born again. And he's not talking about being physically born again. There, there's no way that uh, any one of us could crawl back into our mother's wombs and, and be born again physically. Jesus isn't talking about being born again physically. We've all been born again. We've all been born physically. He's talking about something different. He's talking about being born again spiritually. Everybody has a physical birth. That's a no-brainer. Everybody in this room has a physical birth. But not everybody in this room, or not everybody watching online or whatever, has been born again spiritually. But at the moment you give your life over to Jesus, you're born again. Okay? You're, you're born again spiritually. You're, you're made new. God gives you a new identity. And here's the deal. Some of you have no clue as to what your new identity is. You gave your life to Christ. You became a follower of Christ. You surrendered your life over to Jesus. You, you were born again. But you don't know what your new identity is. I, I read about this man this past week. I actually read about it a long time ago, but I was reading about it again. He was found behind a, a Burger King in Georgia and he had been beaten up, he was naked, he was unconscious, and when they found him, he didn't have any identification on him. Okay, this is a tr true story, by the way. It happened about 16 years ago. You can Google it when, when, when you get home. Well, when this guy finally woke up, he had total amnesia, okay, for eight years. He, he knew nothing about himself. He remembered nothing. He didn't know who he was, and to make matters worse, nobody else knew who he was. Imagine that. The FBI did fingerprints and DNA testing on him, but they couldn't figure out who he was. Dr. Phil did a TV show on him nationally, and nobody claimed him. He's on this big-time TV show, and nobody knew him. In fact, Dr. Phil actually hired a private investigator to try, try to find out the man's identity, but they couldn't find it out. He was the only American citizen officially listed as missing despite the fact his whereabouts were known. Because they, they couldn't figure out who he was. It's a great story, Google it. 
Now there came a moment after eight years that they found out his name, and his name was Benjamin Kyle. Okay, write that down you can, so that way you can look it up when you get home. Now, I want you to try to uh, imagine if that were you, okay? Imagine that one day, you know, you come to church here at Big Valley Grace, and you know who you are. You know who your family is. You know who your spouse is. You know who your kids are, or you know who your parents are. You know who your friends are. You know your past. You know your present. You know what your plans are for the future. You know, you got them all laid out and all that. Then you leave here, go have dinner or whatever, and you get beat up. And when you wake up for the next eight years, you have no clue as to who you are. You have no identity. No past, no present, no friends, no connection. Your entire identity has basically been erased. I'll tell you what, you Google the story, read it, and imagine this guy's life. It's weird. It's a weird thing. Now, as I read about this, I thought to myself, that's exactly what Satan's trying to do to your new identity, Christian. He's trying to erase it. He doesn't want you to know what it is. And for some of you, he's accomplished the goal. You have no idea who you are in Christ. You have no idea what your new identity is in Christ. And I guarantee you that that's going to have an impact on your spiritual life. If you don't know who you are in Christ, if you don't know what your identity is in Christ, it's going to have a major impact on how you go about life, how you live out your faith, if you will. And by the way, it's a, it's a negative impact. You see, you may not realize it, but there's a spiritual war going on over your identity. You see, Satan can't create anything. Only God creates. He's the creator. Satan has never created anything. All Satan can do is pervert or distort or destroy. So what he likes to do is take what God has created for good and then he perverts it. Or he distorts it. Or he destroys it. You understand that? Satan can't create anything. God's the one who creates. Satan can't. But what he does is he takes what God has created for good and then he distorts it. He perverts it, kind of a, kind of a thing. Look, here's the deal. Satan can't hurt God directly. Okay, he's, he's not as powerful as God is. So what he does is he goes after God's children. He tries to hurt God's children. That's you. Satan knows that if he can keep you from understanding your new identity, he succeeded in hurting God by hurting you as one of his children. You see that? As a dad, I was thinking about this this week. This is going to be sort somewhat morbid, I suppose, to some of you. <laughs> but I think about stuff like this as I, was, as I was writing this. And I think, you know, some guy broke into my office or broke into my home. And they put a gun to my head and say, hey, you know, if you don't deny the Lord, you know, I'll shoot your head off. Shoot my head off. I know where I'm going. No big deal. I, I really believe that. I, I don't think I'd have a problem. Now, nah, you know, it'd be a bummer, you know. But go, pull the trigger, man. Be a whole other thing if they brought my kid in, one of my kids in, put a gun to their head. 
Whoa, 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 whoa. Man, that'd be weighty. Way weightier. You know what I'm saying? You get that? Now, if you don't have any kids, and it doesn't mean anything to you. Satan can't do anything to the Father. And so what he does is he goes after the Father's kids. And one of the ways he can mess up the Father's kids, your Heavenly Father's, is by making sure he's perverted or distorted or destroyed this new identity that you have in Christ. Now, how does Satan do this? How does Satan keep you from knowing your true identity? Well, he uses a bunch of stuff, but let me give you two huge ones, okay? Number one, Satan uses the culture to deceive you and to disguise your new identity. You see, all around you are all these messages you know, that are constantly bombarding you, saying, you know, you, you should dress like that. You should look like them. You should talk like them. You should do the same things that they're doing. You need to be more like them. Just watch any commercial, TV shows, music, billboards. Hey, you got to be like that guy. You got to be like her. This will make you cool. This is what you want to do. And unfortunately, too many kids and adults bite on that. And in my opinion, this is the, the greatest tool, number two, that Satan uses. He uses the opinions of other people to deceive you and disguise your new identity. In other words, you believe what other people think about you or what they say about you. Your teachers, your friends, your enemies, your spouse. You heard them say things about you. And you believed them. The big one is your parents. You heard, you heard what they said about you and, and you believed them. I remember as a kid going down to the Stanislaus County Fair, you know, in Turlock, and I would go into the fun house, and in the fun house they always had those crazy mirrors that were warped and they'd make you look big or skinny or tall or short or whatever. They distorted your true image. That's what the mirror did. They made you look different than what you really were. And unfortunately, some of you had some crummy parents or you had a crummy brother or sister or crummy teachers or whatever, and they said things to you that weren't true. They told you that, you know, that you were stupid or that you were worthless. They told you that your life wouldn't add up to, to anything or that, you know, you would never find someone who would love you or you were a mistake or whatever. And all these years later, you still believe these things are true. And they're not. They're not true. But because you believe them, you have a distorted view of yourself. And somehow today it's been, you know, as we get together, it's been my prayer that maybe this one thing, this one truth, um, somehow maybe the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to encourage you. So what is your new identity? Well, let me, let, let me read our text for today. John 15, okay, you there? John 15. And as I read this, keep in mind that Jesus is talking to believers here. That helps clean up some of the confusion that you can get when you read John 15. And the topic that he's talking about is bearing fruit for the Lord. In fact, Jesus is going to say that a bunch of times in this chapter. Now, personally, I don't think Jesus is talking about the lost here, bearing fruit for the lost. You know, the fruit being, you know, go out and, you know, find lost folks and win them to Christ. I think he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit here. 
But either way, it, it, it still works. So let's read it together, okay? John 15, look at verse one. Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. Okay, in the Greek language, the word true means genuine. Jesus is the genuine vine. In other words, Jesus is telling us that there are many counterfeit vines out in the world, but, but he's the real deal. Jesus says, I, I, I'm the genuine grapevine, and my father is the, the, the gardener. Look at verse he, that's the father, the gardener, cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. That yeah, makes sense, right? Look at verse three. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. In other words, Jesus is saying that you're saved by the power of the word of God. You, you were purified by the word. You were born again by the word. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 1 says you were cleansed from your sins. When? When? When you obeyed the truth. When you obeyed Jesus. When, when you gave your life over to Jesus. Okay, look at verse 4 of our text. Verse 4. Remain in me. Some of your Bibles say abide in me. Some say commune with me. Some even say obey me. And I will remain in you for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit for apart from me, you can't do anything. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile and they're burned. Remember, this is all about bearing fruit. It's all about how you can have a, you know, the fruit of the spirit flowing from your life. This isn't about salvation. So Jesus isn't saying that somehow if you don't remain in him or abide in him, you'll be thrown out of the, the family. That's not what he's saying here. And I'm gonna stop right there, okay? Beloved, these six verses are just loaded with truth, especially about your identity in Christ. And um, here it is. This is weighty. This is super weighty. Let me tell you what you are. Here's your new identity. Lord, I give my life over to you. My life is yours. Okay, I know, I know you created everything. I know you created me. I'm, I know I'm unique. And, and now I'm giving my life over to you. And I have a new identity now. My new identity is this. Here it is, ready? You're a branch. That's what you are. You're a branch. Look at verse five. Jesus says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. The reason why some of you are having such a difficult time in your Christian life, because you don't understand that truth. It's simple, by the way, too. I mean, you got a half a cell working. This all makes perfect sense. But who wants to be a branch, right? I mean, some of you have your PhDs. Some of you have two PhDs. Some of you have started great businesses. Man, I'm no branch. Man, this is a hard one. 
Your new identity is you're nothing but a simple branch, okay? That's what you are. That's your new identity. And the only way you'll ever live a God-honoring life, a, a fruitful life, a, a life that bears the, the fruit of the Spirit is to really understand this truth. It's a beautiful truth. People that are out there making huge impacts for the kingdom understand this truth. It's one of the keys, maybe the key, to living a life that honors and glorifies the Lord is that you understand you're but a branch. That's it. And when you understand the implications of that, it'll change the way you live. It'll change your, your daily routine. It'll change, you know, what you do in the morning. It'll change what you do in the afternoon. It'll change what you do, you know, on Sundays. It, it'll change what you do if you really understand you're but a branch. God says, or Jesus said, that God is the gardener. God's the one who tends to our lives. He's the one who watches over our lives. And not only our lives, but all, he also watches over Jesus' life. God is the gardener, okay? You're not the gardener. Now, I know you want to be. And some of you love to be the gardener in other people's lives. But you're not the gardener. God's the gardener. He's the gardener. Then Jesus says, I'm the vine. God, he's the gardener. I'm the vine. It's who I am. And then Jesus says that you're simply a branch. You're a branch that just comes off the vine. It's a jar. Wish I had something really spectacular to tell you. You're just a, just a branch. Now there's one major implication of being a branch. But if you don't understand the fact that you're a branch, and this one implication doesn't mean a thing. You see, when you really get it, and I'm but a branch, then here it is. A branch has to stay connected to the vine to live. Produce fruit. Or, oh, I put it up here two different ways. A branch, that's you. Jesus made this super simple. You're a branch. I'm the vine, Jesus says. My, and, and the Father, he, he's the gardener. He's tending to everything. A branch, that's you, has to stay connected to the vine, that's Jesus, to bear fruit. Look at verse four of our text again. Jesus says, remain in me. A lot of Bibles say abide in me. And if you do that, if you stay attached to me, I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. You see, Jesus is, could have been talking 
to our, you know, four-year-olds and they would have got it. This is just super easy. One of the things I have found as I've been studying this is that, man, there are some theologians out there that just take something super easy and they just butcher it and make it really complex to understand. Man, this is, this is really simple and beautiful and profound. You're the branch. So, so Jesus says, hey, hey, remain in me. Stay, stay connected to me, branch. Because as soon as you disconnect from me, you're done. I'm the one who gives life to the branch. And if you're not connected to me, you're done. You're done. Can't produce anything. The branch is just, it's useless. Unless it's attached to the vine. He goes on in verse five and says, yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them. If you remain in me and I'm in you, well, this next sentence is just a, a no-brainer. You'll produce much fruit. Oh, obviously, duh. But Jesus knew us. Hey, stay connected to me. Make, make sure you're connected to the vine. That's me. And if you do, oh man, wow. Buckle your seatbelts. Because you will produce fruit. Your life will be a life that, that is uh, just a, a, a beautiful testament. You'll be salt and light. You're, you'll bear the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. You, you, that, that'll just happen. And then he goes on and he says, for apart from me, disconnect yourself from me, and here's the deal. You're done. You're done. There's no way the water can get out there to you. There's no way the nutrients can get out there to you because it's all coming up through me. And the Father's watching over the whole thing. So if you dis disconnect from me, you're saved. You'll go to heaven when you die. But you'll be basically useless for the kingdom's sake. Your life won't bear any fruit, basically. Verse six, anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. So branches are gathered in a pile and they're burned. Look, Jesus wanted to make sure we, we got this one. Th th this was super important to Jesus. Abide in me, remain in me, trust in me, stay attached to me. At least four times he says this. As I said, some people make this super complicated and it's not. Jesus says, God's the gardener, I'm the vine, and you're the branches. You're the branch, and because you're simply a branch, abide in me, stay attached to me, remain in me, because if you detach from me, you can't do anything, which means you can't bear any fruit. 
Jesus said this in John chapter 10. He said the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and, and destroy. But Jesus said my purpose is to give them, to give you a rich and satisfying life. And obviously that rich and satisfying life goes to a whole nother level when we finally get to glory. But I think it has implications for us down here right now. And the only way you'll ever experience this rich and satisfying life is that you have to stay attached to Jesus. You have to remain in him. Too many Christians go through life simply existing instead of experiencing this great life that Jesus came to give them. And the reason why some of you, bless your souls, are just simply existing. You know, you wake up in the morning, it's like, oh my gosh, another day. You know, and you go, you punch in, you punch out. It's just like, whoa. You're not experiencing this great life that Jesus came to give. You're not experiencing any fruit in your life. And that's a sign that you've detached yourself. It's a sign that you didn't understand your new identity, that you're nothing but a branch that is dependent upon the vine, Jesus. I was thinking about all the different things that lure us away from Jesus, things that cause us to detach from the vine, Jesus, and attach ourselves to, to something different, like our spouses. Could be our boyfriends or girlfriends, our children, our careers, our hobbies, the pursuit of money. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't try to find life in those things. Stay attached to me. Remain in me. So what does remaining in Jesus look like? What does abiding in Christ look like? Well, Jesus said this in Luke chapter 14, okay? Here's one of the reasons why. Some people just go, I am not going to remain. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and he said to them, if you want to be one of my disciples, you want to be a branch on my vine, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, and your sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot, you cannot be my disciple. And if you don't carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Hey, Jesus ain't messing around here, is he? There, there, there's a huge cost. You, you, you want to stay attached. He, he didn't say don't, don't love your mother or don't love your father. Obviously, that's the fifth of the, uh, you know, the, fifth of the great Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother. God wants you to lo love your father and your mother. He's not saying don't love your spouse. Love your spouse. He did not say don't love your parents or don't love your you know, kids. Love them. <laughs> but by comparison, your love for him, it ought to look like you hate them because you're so attached to him. You're so connected to him. You're so in love with him and his word. You see? So the question is, how do I do this? How, how do I stay connected to Jesus? How do I remain in Jesus? Well, believe it or not, the answer is pretty simple. It really takes little, little effort. 
It really does. Let me, let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. Uh, I was thinking about my, my car. Not a big car guy. You could put a crankshaft and a, and a, I don't know, carburetor and a battery and lay them out. I, I probably couldn't tell you the difference between any of them. I don't know a thing about a car. Don't know. Don't know anything about a car. But what I do know is this, is that I got this big old engine. And it's amazing. My car, I don't know, weighs a couple thousand pounds probably. I can put five, five adult human beings in it. I can put luggage in the back. And that engine in that car, whew, that thing's got some power. Hey, it can get us all going. Move 2,000 pounds just in a car. Move five human beings. Move all of our luggage. That engine's, that, that engine's got some power. And what's weird is all I got to do is something little. There's this little tiny thing at the bottom of my right foot. That's all I got to do. That little thing, that, that little tiny foot pedal gets that engine going. I don't press on that little tiny thing. That little, just a little thing. Can't even see, I can't even see it. Oh, there it is. There it is. There, I got it now. There it is. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to think about it. I don't burn any calories. Oh, man. I get out of my car. Wow. Hey, Pastor Lonnie, man, my leg's killing me, man, from stepping on the, stepping on the gas. No. It just doesn't take anything, but it gets the whole car moving. Hey, let me tell you something. I'm going to give you a couple little things. And it's what gets the whole car moving. There's just little things. Really. If you do them, guarantee you, you'll stay attached. If you don't do them, it's because you don't understand your identity. You don't understand you're a branch. You don't get it. But if the Holy Spirit's opening up some of your minds right now to, wow, I'm a branch. That's my new identity. Yeah. But these, these next things I'm going to give you are pretty important because it'll, it'll, it'll keep you attached. The first one is this, spend a little time in the word of God each day. Read it. So my friend Jeff today gave him a Bible. Just say, hey, had him start in John. Just read, just read a little bit of it. I told him, hey, one or two verses. This isn't a, you know, you don't have to sit down and read the whole thing. One verse, two verses, I don't know, three verses. Some of it you'll get, some of you won't. Some of you will go, what? What? I still do that after 35 years. I read things and just go, what? Study it. That, that's, that's something different. Studying it has the idea of you pull out a number of two pencil and a yellow pad of paper and you, 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 you know, man, hmm, hmm, what does that mean? Hmm. Wow. What are I? Then meditate on it. Meditating on it's different. You know, you read something and you go, okay, wow, that's heavy. I'm a branch. I'm a branch. Jesus says, I'm a branch. He says, he's the vine. In other words, stop reading. Now, not in the study. You're just, you're just meditating on it. I mean, all I am is a branch. Well, obviously, if I detach myself, I can't do anything. So I, man, I'm a branch. Wow. I've been, I've been living like I'm the vine. 
I've done it. And once you start to live like you're the vine, you're not doing anything because you ain't the vine. Some of you have been living like you're the gardener, taking care of everybody else's vineyards and stuff, and your life is dried up. And here's the branch. Just meditate on it. And then you got to do it all with the heart that I'm going to live it out. Because you can read it and study it and meditate on it, but you don't have a heart to live it, then it doesn't mean anything. Because the Bible tells us that we're to be doers of the word, not just hearers. Don't just read it and study it and meditate on it, but actually do it. Man, the Bible contains God's will for your life. The Bible is where you get your spiritual nourishment. The Bible instructs you on, on you know, righteous living. The Bible is full of God's promises. Come on. Just spend a little time. That's spent a lot of time. I realize some of you, you know, my job and Lonnie's job is, is different than your job. You, you know, you, you guys get up and bust your hump and drive a truck or you're an attorney or you, 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 you stock shelves or you pump gas or you, you wash clothes, you take care of children. I, I realize you've got a different job than I've got. And Lonnie and I can, we, we can spend a lot of time in the scriptures, a lot of time. I'm not telling you to spend a lot. I just, I, I made sure I said just a little time, just a little bit, just a little but if you don't spend any, I guarantee you, you're gonna, you're gonna start, you're just gonna find yourself detaching. Every day, just spend a little bit of, little bit of time. N number two, spend a little time, not a lot of time, just a little bit of time. Talking with God each day, praying. Not a lot, just a little, like that gas pedal, just a little thing. Just, just talk with him. Tell him what's got you all bummed out. Tell them what's got you all goofed up. Tell them the, you know, why you're mad. Tell them why you know, you're happy, why you're whatever. Talk to them. You don't have to do it for a long time. Just spend a little bit of time just interfacing with him each day. Prayer. Prayer builds your relationship with Jesus. Prayer helps you overcome temptations. Prayer helps you discover what God's will is. I know some kids right now who they wanted to go to a particular college and they've been praying and they've been praying and they've been praying and they've been praying and you know what? God didn't open up that door. And so they're gonna go to a different college. Guess what they found out through prayer? It wasn't God's will for you to go there. That's one of the things about prayer. You discover what God's will is. Prayer is one of your, you know, greatest weapons in the spiritual war you're in. But here's one. I was talking to Lonnie about it this week. Here's the deal. Let me tell you why you got to pray. Let me just, it's just a little bit of time. Let me tell you why. I'm going to boil it all down. Jesus did it. And if he did it, then I think I better do it. Even if I don't get it, even if I don't feel anything, even if I don't get a goosebump. If he did it and he thought it was important, good enough, I'll go do it. So say so just read scripture, get in the Bible a little bit, pray a little bit. And the third one is this. Um, just spend a little bit of time fellowshipping with other people, people of God each day. I don't know, church. Some of you have no idea because you, you, don't, you don't realize you're a branch. <laughs> 
how important this is. You know what church is? This is like, uh, this is a moment when somebody throws a Job spike, you know, next to the roots. That's what church is. It's just this great moment when the people of God get together and we hear from God through the music and we pray and we give and we take communion and we baptize and we hear from the word. Wow, whoo, whoo, that does something. Remember, you're just but a branch. That's what you are. Small group. Having a group that Monday night or Tuesday night or Thursday morning or whenever it is, you get together with a group of people and you fellowship with them. Could be just going out and having coffee with another believer. Here's the deal. Your, your salvation is simply based on faith. In other words, you don't earn your salvation by doing good things such as, you know, whatever, attending church or being in a small group or whatever. But fellowship with, with other believers, the body of Christ, the church is critical in helping you sustain your faith. It really is. See, one of the commands of God is, is that we're to love one another. We're to love one another in the church. How do you do that if you never go to church? How do you love one another if you're not in a small group? How, how do you fulfill one of those commands if you're not engaged in the life of the church? You can't do it. I'll tell you what. You spend just a little bit of time, just a little bit of gas, a little bit of gas, just a little reading, just a little bit of gas, just praying, just, just uh, uh, fellowshipping with other believers. I'm going to tell you right now, you will see that you will bear fruit. You will begin to see the fruit of the Spirit popping out all over your life. And one of the things that God does, and my friend Joe's back here, he's a farmer, he's got grapevines, he understands this principle well. I've been to his home before when he'll have all these grapes, beautiful grapes, beautiful, beautiful grapes everywhere, beautiful grapes, and he goes through and he's snipping them off. There's just piles of beautiful grapes on the ground. Beautiful grapes. And I've been out of his house many times and said, man, Joe, that just didn't make any sense. Well, here's the deal. I gotta, I gotta snip all these off because if I don't, then I'm gonna have problems next, next season. But if I do all this now and I do a little snipping here and a little snipping there and I, guess what? I'm gonna have I'm gonna better crop next year. And so what God does, sometimes he comes along in our lives and he does a little snipping. So you're attached, you're reading the word, you're praying, going to church, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, ooh, some hard things start to happen. Well, that's God doing what he does. Remember, he's the gardener. He's the one who tends to the vineyard. And sometimes there are things that are in our lives, and they might be good things. Those are good grapes. He's, he's cutting off a lot of really good grapes. And God might come along and cut off some really good things in your life. Don't argue with him. Just realize, you know what? He's setting me up for the future. That apparently was something I didn't need in my life. And he knows better than I do because he's the gardener. I'm not the gardener. He's the gardener. All right, everybody stand up. Everybody stand up. Moms, don't forget. We got a great picture booth out there, flowers. You're all gonna get some candy. Actually, all the gals. I don't care whether you're a mom or not. All the gals, man, we got candy for you when you head out. We got a great picture booth. Go out there. And we got flowers we wanna give you and, and all that kind of stuff, okay? Father, thanks, Lord, for tonight and the chance we had to be together. Thank you for this 
beautiful, simple illustration that we're but branches. That's all we are. And that means we need you, man. We need to stay attached to you, God. Thanks for all the moms that are here. Thanks for all the women that are here. Wow, it's amazing, God, how you, throughout the beginning of time, have used women. Man, it's just crazy. I'm so thankful for the good women that have been in my life. Blessings on all of them, and I pray this in your name, and all of God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, blessings, everybody.